Good, good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Allen. The early church, when they would greet each other, they would begin with the greeting, He is risen, and the other person would respond, He is risen indeed. So let's do that this morning. He is risen. Risen indeed. Thank you. Uh, before we get started with where we're going this week, I want to tell you where we're going next week. Um, we're going to do a series for the next three weeks, kind of connected with what's going on in our world, and we're titling it, How to Get Through What You're Going Through. So please join us the next three weeks as we uh, think this, this series will be helpful to everyone, beneficial. So today, being uh, Easter, uh, kind of the Super Bowl <laughs> uh, for uh, Jesus' followers and for the church, and it's no surprise what preachers like me are going to talk about. Uh, it's really what we celebrate every Sunday, but especially on uh, this Sunday, <clears throat> being Easter. Now, the fact that Jesus is resurrected is what we're celebrating. Um, he's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what's significant about this is that it answers a question that all of us need to or should address, and that's this. Who is Jesus? Who is this historical character who lived 2,000 years ago? Who was he? Evidently, as we're going to see, hundreds if not thousands of people were convinced he was, who he said he was, the Son of God. Now, anytime when I'm speaking, I'm assuming there's some folks out there that would consider themselves doubters. So I want to talk to you for a minute. There's three major reasons why people are doubters about the fact that Jesus was who he said he was. The first, they doubt the facts. They doubt maybe even that Jesus existed, or they doubt the fact, doubt the fact obviously, that Sarson died and was resurrected. And that's understandable. But if you actually do the research, there's more proof that Jesus lived and died and was resurrected than anybody that we believe in in ancient history. Caesars and Rome and all these other characters, Aristotle, way more evidence for Jesus than, than that. But that might be your stumbling block. A second stumbling block or a reason to doubt is what we call an emotional reason. You may believe the facts <laughs> and still not believe or still have doubts. Maybe that's better. And uh, it's interesting. My wife and I counsel couples and, and sometimes they say, well, I feel like my spouse doesn't love me. And we always say to them, well, feelings are justified. I mean, are real, but they're not always justified. And whenever I have felt that, if I stop and think, well, I know my wife loves me, even though maybe I don't feel like she does. So that's, that's, the, that's the same truth here. You may not emotionally feel like uh, you believe, so you're still doubting, even though you may doubt, uh, not doubt the facts. And probably the biggest reason people doubt is kind of an unusual reason. Let me illustrate this way. Uh, my wife's kind of a matchmaker. She's done a great job putting some people together over the years. And so, um, say you're a friend of mine, and, and you're single, and my wife says, hey, I, I've got this perfect gal for you. She's, she's fantastic, and, and I think you'd make a great couple. And your response might be, well, uh, I, I believe she's great. <laughs> and she'll make a great wife for somebody, but I preferences to remain single. And so that might be your preference. You might, your preference may be just to be a doubter. So we're glad you're tuning in, and hopefully 
those of you with doubts will come to believe or to have less doubt when we're finished this morning. <clears throat> now, something important that you need to know about us as a church and as a church in general, we don't believe Jesus rose from the dead just because it's in the Bible. And like I say to my folks a lot, the church existed and flourished for 300 years without a Bible. How is that possible? Well, we have an account by a guy named Matthew who was a disciple who witnessed this and wrote it down. It happens to be in the Bible. But what's significant is his eyewitness account. And then there was a guy named Mark. He didn't he wasn't eyewitness, but he wrote down Peter, who was a disciple's eyewitness account. And then we have Luke, who was a Greek. He wasn't even Jewish. And he did this. He was a doctor. He was a scientist. He did research. And he interviewed people. And he put together this uh, book we call Luke. It's in our Bible. That of many people who witnessed eyewitnesses and believed. And of course, we've been, for the last seven weeks, we've been studying John, a disciple, and his eyewitness account of what he saw. And probably my favorite is this one. I have two brothers. I don't know if you have siblings. But Jesus had siblings. One was named James. And we have no indication that he believed that Jesus was who he said he was during his teaching, during his miraculous signs, any time during his ministry. But then the early church comes along, and James all of a sudden is a leader in the church. So what made the difference to James? Now, I don't know about you, but if my brother told me he was the son of God, I wouldn't believe him. But if he died and rose three days later, later I would be convinced. And so was James. And of course, Paul, who wrote half the New Testament, was convinced that Jesus was a fraud. He killed people that tried to follow Jesus. Had them killed. And then through a, a miraculous encounter with the risen Lord, he uh, came to believe. And he put his life on the line and eventually died for his beliefs. And there's been literally billions of people <laughs> that have come to believe this in the last 2,000 years. So we don't believe it just because it's in the Bible. We're thankful that it is there. <clears throat> so moving on. See, the story of Jesus really isn't worth telling apart from the resurrection. And the reason I say that is this. Um, Jesus said too much about himself. Some people say, oh, he's a good teacher. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said he was God. And if you don't believe that, then you shouldn't believe anything else he said. Somebody's categorized it this way. Jesus is either a liar. You know he wasn't the son of God, but he wanted people to follow him. And he, he did some tricks and some things and, and people uh, followed him, but then he died. Or he was a lunatic. He's just crazy. And there's been people that claim they were God that we would consider uh, mentally unstable to today. But there's the third option. He was really who he said he was. And he declares himself our Lord. Now, we're going to look at this story, obviously, from the Bible. And the interesting thing is how honest, in this case, John's account is of the events. He doesn't write himself in or the other folks in as heroes. In fact, if you're a doubter this morning, you're in good company because everyone in this story at some point was a doubter. I love uh, the way someone has put it this, this way. Nobody expected there to be nobody on the first Easter morning. Nobody. 
There's nobody in Scripture, nobody that believed that the tomb would be empty and that Jesus would be alive. See, the problem is Jesus claimed to be God. And so either he, who, who he said he is or he's not worth believing or following. So what did the, the, the followers, the disciples of Jesus expect on that first Easter morning? They didn't expect anything. They expected this guy named Jesus who died to stay dead. Now last week we talked about Jesus raising a guy by the name of Lazarus from the dead. That's different. He, was, he would soon later die again. Jesus was resurrected with a new life. He'll never die again. Um, and what happened was, and my wife and I saw this in a movie we watched this week called Risen. The reaction of people as somebody who has been dead for four days comes out of a tomb and is alive. And the scripture describes that many believed in him. I'm surprised that not everybody believed in him. The problem then became not that many believed in him, but that too many believed in him. And so Jesus was becoming too popular. And last Sunday we call Palm Sunday. Jesus, that Sunday 2,000 years ago, he enters Jerusalem to shouts of celebration. He's got a, a large following. And so the religious leaders, Jewish religious leaders, are, are on edge. They're nervous because he's exciting the people and the people get excited and Rome gets excited and they're going to be a backlash. And so it becomes very uh, zealous, politically zealous. It becomes very political. And so the religious leaders have decided we've got to get rid of this Jesus. He's too dangerous. And so they make plans. They even have spies. But Jesus is really popular and there's crowds all around. And so Judas, one of the 12 disciples, saying it the best I can, he became impatient with Jesus, not coming out and declaring himself Messiah, Messiah King, and getting rid of the Romans. And so he makes this deal with the religious leaders. Say, I can get... I can find Jesus, let you know where Jesus is when he's alone so that you can, you know, arrest him without interference from the crowd. And so Jesus gathers with the disciples on that Thursday night to celebrate the Passover and having a meal together. And he instituted what we want to call a new covenant and a new commandment. He says, okay, they're celebrating the greatest event in Jewish history. The fact that the Israelites got out of slavery in Egypt after 400 years of slavery and now are free. Their biggest holiday, be like our Christmas, their biggest holiday, and they're celebrating that. And Jesus says, okay, I'm going to change the whole meaning of the Passover. Now, this would have been blasphemy to a Jew. And it's amazing that the disciples didn't walk out on Jesus at this point. He says, I... God, God gave this covenant to Moses and to the Israelites years ago, but it, was, it worked okay, but it wasn't great, and it was just for, you, for Jews, and it wasn't for everyone, so I am going to set up a new covenant. It's going to be much simpler, much easier, and it's going to be for everyone. This is a new agreement between God and mankind, so man can connect with God. And it's going <clears> to... <throat> 
involve, what are the terms and conditions of this covenant? Well, it's going to involve a new command, a new commandment. And we can read about it. John records it in chapter 13. Now I'm giving you a new commandment to go along with this new covenant. Love each other just as I loved you. You should love each other. Now, I've, I've tried to live by the golden rule. I think it's great teaching of Jesus. Treat other people like you want to be treated. But this is a step above that. We might call this the platinum rule. So how am I supposed to treat people, all people, like God treated me? How does God treat me? He loves me unconditionally. That's a strange word. I love my wife, but I'm sure there's some condition that I might, not love, I might stop loving her. But there's nothing I can do to make God stop loving me. There's nothing you can do to make God stop loving me. And so there should be nothing that anybody else can do for us to stop loving them. He said, this is going to be the sign. This is going to be the, as we're going to, next slide is going to say, this is going to be my brand. I'm talking about brand these days. This was the brand for this new brand, this brand new movement. Unconditional love of other people. In fact, Jesus was about to do something to demonstrate and be the symbol of this brand new movement. And so they celebrate the Passover together. They go out into the Garden of Gethsemane. And Judas knows that's the place Jesus likes to go. And so he brings the palace guards with him and they arrest Jesus. Uh, the religious leaders have him beaten. But that's about all they can do because the Romans are in control. And so they take him to Pilate. Now Pilate has authority to actually execute someone. So they take him to Pilate. Pilate interviews him and says, I, I find nothing wrong with this guy. There's no reason to punish him. But the religious leaders are so zealous and Pilate is trying to keep peace and so he decides to have him flogged, which was horrible. It was just tore the, the, the skin off the back and the front of Jesus' body. And he brings him back to Pilate. And Pilate thinks, oh, the religious leaders will be happy now, right? <clears throat> and no, they're still not happy. No, we insist. He must die. And again, Pilate gives in. He says, okay, um, you can execute it. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story, reading John's account. And Pilate turned to Jesus over to them. That means the Roman soldiers. to crucify them. They, the soldiers, took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went to the place called the Place of the Skull, in Hebrew, Golgotha. Now, um, the fact that he was able to carry it after flogging is amazing to me, but Jesus had a human body, but without sin. And we don't understand what that's like. None of us have one like that. And so he had, I think, a, a form of strength that no one else ever has. So he was able to do that. And then John says they nailed him to the cross. Two others were crucified with him, which is pretty common. One on one side and Jesus uh, on either side and Jesus in the middle between them. Now notice John doesn't give us any details. He's writing this probably 50 years later. He's not giving details. Everybody knew what crucifixions were like. They've been going on for, for 100 years. And so he doesn't give us details. Everybody knows. Now he does give us an interesting detail in chapter, in verse 25, he says this, standing near the cross was Jesus' mother, mother's sister, uh, whose name was Mary, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, it's interesting, John's going to refer to himself in the third person. And he's referring to John. 
He said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. Now, why would he do that? See, in Jewish tradition back then, the next eldest son would be responsible for taking care of their mother. Evidently, uh, her husband Joseph had died at this point. Uh, so I, I'm thinking about this. I'm thinking one of the most difficult things about this quarantine is not getting to hang out with you folks. I feel closer to you than these brothers I mentioned earlier. I see them once a year, both of them. I see you folks every week. I feel closer to you. We have a bond that I might not have with my sibling. And so John says, okay. Uh, Jesus says to John, <laughs> you know, you're one of my closest friends, followers on this planet. I am trusting you with my mother. And to his mother, treat John as your son. And then, as he's about to die on the cross, Jesus says this, it is finished. Now, it literally means paid in full. What was paid in full? The penalty for our sin, all of our sins, the penalty of death, eternal death. That means eternal separation from God. Been paid in full. I don't know about you, I, uh, I've had a mortgage that got paid off, that felt really good. Maybe you had a car payment when it got paid off. You don't owe anybody anything. That feels really good. Our church has had mortgages twice. We don't have any mortgages anymore. That feels really good. So Jesus said, this is bigger than any of that. This is your eternity. And it's all paid for. It's completely paid for. It's done. And he bows his head and gave up his spirit. Nobody killed Jesus. Jesus sacrificed his life. He gave up his life. He was God. He could have ended it any time he wanted. And then John records something really interesting. Again, third person. <laughs> this report is from an eyewitness. Well, who was the eyewitness? John. Giving an accurate account. He said, I'm not making this up. This is actually what happened. He, meaning me, <laughs> speaks the truth. So that, why, why is he telling this? Why is he telling it and saying it's true? So you also may continue to believe. I saw it. So obviously I believe. I want you to believe. Now, if you're sitting here listening to this or reading this, you're thinking, hey, yeah, well, yeah, they executed lots of people. It's easy to believe that they executed this guy named Jesus. No, John's not referring to what's just happened. He's referring to what's going to happen, what's going to happen next. Now, another interesting fact, and one reason we believe this is, is true is because of the detail, the kind of unnecessary detail that John includes in this story. So afterwards, Joseph Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, and that was common, uh, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. Now, in that day, crucified bodies were not allowed to be buried. In fact, again, on this movie Risen, they have an interesting scene where they take the bodies off the cross and just kind of dump them over the hill. And there's bodies from uh, former uh, crucifixions and that was you know basically to, to put on the trash heap but if you bribed an official you could get permission so we're assuming Joseph bribed because Pilate gave him permission and he came and took the body away and with him came Nicodemus and we we're introduced to Nicodemus by John in chapter 3 and that whole story about you must be born again he came to Jesus at night because he was afraid of religious leaders now notice the detail here. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. 
following Jewish custom. Now, if you're expecting to be resurrected, you don't need to follow any kind of burial custom, but there was no belief in resurrection. They wrapped Jesus' body with spices and long sheets of linen cloth. Now, the place of the crucifixion was near a garden. It was a brand new tomb, never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation, um, that Friday is the day Passover begins that evening. And we had the privilege of my wife and I being there at the end of Passover week. It ends on the next Sabbath. And we got there in time to to observe that. Uh, But any Sabbath, especially the Passover Sabbath, you couldn't do any work and burying a body was work. So they had to hurry and get this done. And put him in the uh, tomb close at hand. They laid Jesus there. So we don't know what James and John and the other disciples were thinking at this point. All we can imagine is they were heartbroken. They were completely defeated, completely hopeless. Uh, I like to think of this this way. We've just wasted the last three years of our our lives following this guy. He said he was the Messiah and then he just goes up and dies for us. And that's Saturday. We can't imagine the emotions. This happened so quickly, I'm sure they were just in shock. The, The emotions needed time to catch up with them. One thing significant about Jesus' ministry is how he, he took up for the downtrodden. He took up for, the, uh, for women and for children. And that culture had, had little, uh, little uh, respect and authority. Because women are going to feed in uh, largely to the story here at this point. So, chapter 20, John continues with his, his account. <clears throat> John chapter 20, verse 1. Uh, early on Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, we already met, said she was at the cross, came to the tomb and found this tomb. Stone had been rolled away from the entrance. Now this is important. Why was the stone rolled away? For Jesus to get out? No. We're going to find out later. He goes through a, in a minute that he goes through a locked door. That was so people could f- walk in and discover that The tomb was empty. Now, she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Can I imagine her going and knocking on their door? They were evidently together. And I don't know what their thought might be that, uh uh-oh, the Roman soldiers are coming to get us. They know we're followers of Jesus. But then second thought, they didn't knock. They would have just burst in. So they answer the door evidently and she says to them, "They, they... Whoever they are have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. We don't know where they put him. She didn't come say, hey, he's risen. What did she say? Somebody stole the body. Because nobody expected no body. So Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running. They were pretty upset, obviously, if somebody had taken Jesus' body. The other disciple... Third person, who's he talking about? John. Outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Now, I'm a runner, and if I outrun somebody, I want other people to know I got there first, and so John's doing the same thing. Again, this is so real. He stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings there, but he didn't go in, which is kind of understandable, right? Who wants to go into a, to a spooky tomb? Then Simon Peter gets there. I think Simon Peter was a bit older than John, and maybe that's why John beat him. He arrived, 
He went inside and noticed. Now, he went right inside. Why did he go right inside? Because that was Peter. If you read the gospel, Peter always just, you know, he, he said something before he thought. He did something before he think about it. And without thinking, he, he, he goes in. He notices the linen wrapping lying there. The cloth and it covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. So you got a, a picture of this. It's not chaos. It's all very neat. And then the disciple had reached the tomb first. <laughs> John, he also went in. And he saw... Now, something significant happened. He saw, and then what? He believed. He believed not that somebody stole the body because the linens would have been in, in disarray or they wouldn't even been there. He believed that Jesus had done what he said he would, just the night before, he said he was going to do. So here, I'm going to give you their faith formula. John's faith formula. He saw an empty tomb, a resurrected Jesus, so he couldn't help but believe. And of course it changed his life forever. And he eventually was uh, executed for his faith. Uh, some words from a song. Songwriters often say these things very well. For John this, this clicked. Well, all the stuff that Jesus said now began to make sense. I don't know. Multiple people are putting puzzles together. I put one together at my house this week. And you look at all these pieces it looks like a mess. And eventually you get them all together and it all just clicks. And that's what happens, I believe, to John. So Will, Phil Wickham says it this way. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace that he loved me enough to die for me when I didn't deserve it? The God of ages has stepped down from glory. <laughs> One of the amazing things to me is that God would actually leave the glories of heaven to come down the trappings of this earth. Not only to do that, but to wear my sin and bear my shame. Uh, John earlier said that Jesus, uh, the Word, was, came as flesh and dwelt among us. God of the universe took the limitations of a human being and came and hung out with us. So, at this point he's dead, and so there was no movement to keep moving. You know, other Famous people die and people try and keep their words alive. <clears throat> but again, Jesus said he was God. If he's not alive, there's no movement. So, we don't have time to talk about all of them, but there's all these conversations that Jesus has, the risen Jesus has with different people if you read the New Testament. So we're just going to look at one real quickly. And John records it. Uh, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. We believe they kind of scattered. Maybe Thomas was farther away and began to hear about, hey, there's these rumors that he's alive and maybe John Thomas came back. But at this point, he hadn't come back yet. They told him, uh, well, now he's back, but not when Jesus had appeared. We have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands put my fingers into them and place my hands into the wounds in his side. Now, can you blame John? Uh, Thomas? Did any other disciples believe before they saw? Well, maybe John did when he saw the empty tomb and, and there. So, no, it's normal. It's natural not to believe until you see. So, the account goes on. Eight days later, a week later, then he said to Thomas, 
uh, excuse me, uh, later disciples were together again. This time Thomas is with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before Jesus was standing among them, peace be with you, he said. In Portuguese, they have this word calma. You know, you know just relax. It's okay. <laughs> um, then he said to Thomas, evidently he had got, word had gotten back to him what John, Thomas had said. He said, put your fingers here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wind of my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. Literally it says, stop your unbelief and believe. Stop your doubting and believe. And then he says, my Lord and my God. Now, he saw, so he believed. And Jesus says something to all of us that have lived since then. Looking forward to the future, Jesus told them, <clears throat> You believe because you've seen me. Blessed or more blessed are those who believe without seeing me, which includes you and I. And so John, as we've looked at all these seven weeks, gives an explanation of his agenda and an invitation to you and I. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. So there's lots of other things he could have included, but he didn't. <clears throat> but these are written for a specific purpose. As you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life, eternal life. You'll be connected with God by the power of his name. Phil Wickham again put it this way. Out of the silence, the roaring lion, Jesus, Declared the grave has no claim on you and me, and of course, on himself. So our faith form is a little different because none of us have seen. We've heard, we've heard or read the testimony, eyewitness testimonies of multiple people. And we have the evidence of 2,000 years of the church. And so we've believed, and m most of us can point to or all of us as believers can point to the fact that our lives have been changed for now and forever. I'd like to leave folks with something to think about. And so here's what I'd like to leave with you this morning. What was the deciding factor? <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> what was the deciding factor in your decision to believe? I think for John it was seeing the empty tomb with the grave clothes still there. Or not to believe. And I know some of you are doubters and still don't believe. So it's important to drill down and figure out what is the deciding factor. Is it the facts themselves? Is it an emotional thing for you? Or is it just, just your preference? Believe in Jesus as the Son of God. So let me pray with you. <clears throat> now, Father God, this is such a Amazing story. And it's easy to doubt. It's easy not to believe that somebody could be dead for three days and then come back to life. Yes, that would be hard to believe for somebody that's purely human, but somebody who is ultimately God. No big deal. <laughs> Created the universe. But it's essential to what we call Christianity. Without that, we have no hope. We have no hope of connecting with God or, or eternal life. 
So I'd like to pray, especially for those of you who are doubters this morning. Maybe you once believed, and for whatever reason, now you no longer believe. I want to pray that today, for whatever reason, you're convinced. Yes, there was no reason to stop believing, or there's no reason to start, not to start to believe. Um, I believe the evidence is there. I, I pray that you do. And this is a decision that you need to make between you and God. At first and foremost, you need to understand that you're at odds with God. <clears throat> you've not acknowledged Him. You've not acknowledged your <clears throat> sinfulness. And the fact that if there is a heaven, that you can't get there without the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. So I pray you'd make that decision. You can pray it. You don't have to pray. You can just say, I believe. <clears throat> and we'd love to let, let, let us know about that decision. If you have more doubts or less doubts, we pray that today uh, you will seek answers. Connect with us or someone else. This is too important uh, to, let, to just let go. And God, for most of us obviously watching this, we believe. We believe with all our heart. We are your, your followers. We're your children. We love you. And we know, and we experienced how much you've loved us. Especially in these difficult times. God, we don't live without hope <laughs> that things will get better here, but eventually there will be no more tears, no more death, no more dying. And we thank you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.